0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oh my God, yes. The Um, best spell in D&D. Yeah, I will... What's up, you slimy fucks? Welcome back <laughs> to Dungeon Deep Dive. <laughs> wow. Just just like always, this is me introducing the podcast the same way I always do. <laughs> Hello, I'm Lachlan, and with me, I have some folks.
2: It's me. I'm Grace Shadell, and I think you're lovely.
0: And it's me,
3: I'm Tully Grimley, and I'm indifferent about you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we well, see, we've got the broad spectrum. We tried to bring an impartial panel here tonight. Exactly. As we assess you, listener, your personal worth. Yes, you. No, no, not anyone else. No, don't think it could be someone else because there's like a bunch of people that listen. It's just you. I mean you.
2: I mean, I have a, I you have there, like a... sitting there
0: with a low self-esteem. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah,
2: yeah, Look, I have, I have here highlighted a whole text document about your issues with your mother.
0: I like that Grace actually highlighted the text on her I screen. Um, <laughs> to- Wait for an audio medium.
2: I'm a method actor Tully. Uh,
0: but before we get into anything, I believe Tully has a thing to say. Yes.
3: Uh, so, we record in uh, the Mingenlands, known as Brisbane. Um the traditional land of the Turrbal and Yagoda people of Australia, uh, and these they are the traditional custodians of, of the land uh, that we stand here, and they have a spiritual connection and a personal cl- connection to it, the land and waters. And uh, these places have always been places of teaching and learning and storytelling, and we are continuing in that tr- tradition. But uh, yeah, if um, any members of those communities, sorry to interrupt, if any member of those, those communities would like to have their voice on the show, we would love to have you.
0: Yeah, and we just like to pay our respects to elders past present and emerging. Yeah, sovereignty was never ceded.
3: Sovereignty was never ceded. Mm.
0: And with that, again, a poor segue. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, literally any good I, I, like I could f- feel the like gears grinding in my head as I was <laughs> like like
2: this wasn't. Yeah, well, here's this, some this sovereignty lands, that
0: was ceded. Yeah, <laughs> this land
3: was taken by force. Anyway, we're going to talk about taking land by force.
2: <laughs> uh, to give you an idea of how well thought through this is, uh, two out of three of the people here are not sober. So
0: you'll Try never guess so. which. <laughs> um i don't know why you'd bring that up but that's fine. i just
2: thought it was a good excuse for the fact that we did not sort of think this beginning bit through <laughs> yeah jokes on just- the
0: audience that we're actually all sober it's just like
2: a complete <laughs> cop out well i mean we planned what order we were gonna go and didn't even consider this
0: <laughs> i mean this happened last episode
3: too
2: that's fair maybe we're just like that dumb
0: well it's just like i i don't know It's just becomes such like a default part of the intro that i don't that it's just like, well, we don't we'll consider do the, the transition from it. Yeah, I don't yeah. think about how we get from intro to, to body. I mm. mean, no, I can't. I was going to, I can't leave a joke. Anyway, <laughs> so sieges, right? So we talked a little bit about sieges before um, when we talked about castles a little while back. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked a little bit about some of like, the ways that you defend against sieges and stuff. Um, but I wanted to get a little bit more today into just to kind of like set the scene for today's episode into really kind of what a siege was. So this is going to be a little broad. So we're going to go across just kind of like the general history of it. And I'll try to stay out of the weeds as much as possible. Um, So for our purposes, at the very least, sieges began with sieges in the sense that we would really consider them now really kind of came into prominence during the Roman Empire. Hmm. So the Romans obviously lived in this world of, like, ever-changing, ever-shifting empires. The uh, Caesar and his Romans conquering vast swaths of Europe, but there were empires kind of everywhere else. I mean, you could look at... um, I was looking at a map of the region uh, at the time that Caesar would have been marching on Gaul. Hmm. and it's crazy, like to see these land masses that look at least somewhat familiar. Uh, I mean, as, as, as familiar as ancient cartography can look compared to like <laughs> modern satellite maps. But yeah, it looks somewhat familiar. And seeing like written on it, like Britannia, and like all the, like the names of all of these like ancient empires and stuff. Um, but they really did kind of dominate the land, and there was just this massive struggle uh, all of the time between them. And the reason for that is because the primary way that battle was conducted really until the modern era and even into the early modern era was through siege warfare. Hmm. It's kind of this like interesting, I guess, misconception that I was coming across that was it's really only been broken down much in the last like couple decades, even in like academic circles. Like I saw a, um, a an article I was reading that was really that had, like, a lot of really interesting things about it, was written, I think, in 1995. And they were, like, scolding scholars of their time for putting, like, too much emphasis on field battles, which weren't really that big of a deal at the time um, in terms of, like, the grand strategic design of a war. Um, and things like castles and stuff, like the capturing and, and defending of castles, were those were, like, pretty minor points in ancient warfare. What was typically actually the focus, at least throughout Europe from kind of the time of the Roman Empire onwards, mm. was the capture through siege of these like great, heavily defended Roman cities, um, which then obviously fell into the care of the care, air quotes, the whatever became then fell under the power of the like subsequent empires as, uh, as subsequent kingdoms and stuff as things. Yeah, rule. There we go. Yeah. Rule. Um, oh, I tell a lie. It probably stretches a little bit back to Alexander the Great realistically. Alexander the Great kind of kicked off the tradition that the Romans would then kind of pick up at the beginning of the in kind of like the first century onwards uh c e it's c e right yeah, yeah, cool. so essentially, what you would do if you wanted to in the ancient world fight a grant a great army, you have to remember that most of the land was not urbanised. There was nothing kind of between these massive cities, uh, save for like farmland and stuff. Mm. There wasn't this like massive, essentially terraforming of the terrain that kind of exists in the modern world. So you would would go from city to city with really not a whole lot in between that was of any real significance. Mm. So you would... So the main focus then becomes, and especially considering it, this is like a very like either imperial or feudal era. So the power of the leader doesn't really have any recognized international legitimacy in the way that like nation states do now. Mm. Because, I mean, now you're not allowed to capture territory through warfare. You're just not allowed to. It is illegal to annex land.
2: You're not supposed
0: to. You're not supposed to. But like, sure, obviously people do, but people have committed (laughs) war crimes for forever. Yeah. But you're not allowed to do that. It's not a legal transition of authority. Mm -mm. You're allowed to occupy territory for the sake of the the warfare, but you're not allowed to interfere with the actual place. And you've got to give it back at the end unless like the treaty changes that.
1: Mm.
0: By contrast, the ancient world really loved Stealing Cities. They just were crazy about that stuff.
2: Got to catch them all.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you got to catch them all. Want to be the best.
2: (laughs) That's actually, that song was created by Alexander the Great. Got to catch them
3: all. Got to catch them all. (laughs) Jesus Christ. That's about all I can (laughs) sing without uh, incurring a copyright strike.
0: Can we get copyright strikes on podcasts? Is that a thing?
1: They try. You
3: can. Uh, I'm pretty sure like us singing it wouldn't incur it. That's fair.
0: It's not like YouTube. Yeah. They love capturing cities. Oh, they love capturing cities. They're crazy about the stuff. So what you would do, right? Because, and and that's kind of for a couple of reasons. You've got to remember, first of all, that we're coming out of this era of ancient Greece um, and the like, Kind of, and the ancient Greeks, the Macedonians as well were actually pretty big for it. And then, kind of, even the Hellenistic kingdoms that came from the ancient Greeks as that, like, kind of region was broken up had this very strong concept of, like, the soldier citizen. If you were physically able to fight, you were expected to defend your city. Hmm. And the city was considered, uh, I mean, you can, and you can see it in the way that people talk about, um, like the Italian cities in the ancient world or even kind of into the modern world um, or the ancient Greek city-states and stuff, these cities had complete control over their area because they were where all the people, all of the resources and all of the soldiers were. Hmm. Everything else was just like the wild opens of nature, you know? So there was this idea that the only way to really formally kind of capture anything was to make sure that you had the cities at the very least your advance is going to be you're going to be you're going to be in trouble if you go past a city and leave it behind you
3: yeah because then you've got people behind behind your lines
1: yeah
0: yeah exactly but even more than that um for instance when caesar was conquering gaul as he was marching on the capital city Mm. Uh, his armies went past another, like, big major city that didn't actually have any real, like, economic or military significance. It was just a major city in the sense of its size. Mm. Uh, And nobody really wanted it. It wasn't doing anything there. And he was actually really desperate to get to the chieftain of the empire, who was in the capital city? Who'd like fled to the capital city? Yeah. So he had to keep marching on to this city, and he stopped for like eight days to besiege this city on the way, purely because any garrisoned troops in that city would cut off all his communication lines. Yeah, and then you you're screwed. Yeah. So he realised that the only way he'd promised he would capture Gaul, and he, so he couldn't come home not having captured this city, and God knows he couldn't risk it being there in the meantime. So he had to stop. And, like, give up his entire thing for quite an extended period of time just to make sure that he besieged this one place. Hmm. Otherwise, he wouldn't have won.
2: I'm thinking about it now. And the whole, like, hey, we captured the city and killed everyone inside, it makes a lot more sense when every physically able person could be a soldier.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I was like, wow, that re- that's really just, like, symbolic savagery to really show how horribly these nasty people are. But that's, like
3: but yeah if every person could potentially be a soldier then
2: oh. you kind of ha- like might want sure to make sure about that one
0: well that was at least the prevailing attitude really up until the 1600s mm-hmm. um the idea was and caesar and uh, and like the kind of romans that then came after him. Caesar was, like, the the big one for, kind of, kicking off this, obviously, like, the the very, like, expansionist Roman Empire mm. um, in his, like, conquest of their, like, major military enemies. Mm. Um, so, he's, kind of, like, attributed to, uh, with a lot of the, like, early, kind of, tactics that came about in the era, but um, there was, yeah, there were, there were a lot of, like, kind of, psychological, like, social strategies that went into that sort of thing. So, mm. one of the main things that Caesar and kind of his... One of the main things that besieging armies would do is they would try to just completely raise cities as they went past mm. to scare other cities into surrendering. It was ah, this interesting kind of yeah. give and take. Um, and you see it even until one of the most recent examples of it was when the, I think in the 1500s, when the Dutch people in the Netherlands were uh rising up to get independence from the Spanish crown mm. and this and the Spaniards sent a duke this like uh really uh, with it he had this like reputation of being like really violent really like horror like a horrifying enemy to yeah. Face. He was like known for his like kind of terror tactics, his like um killing of civilians, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um and they wanted to make sure that they could surrender that they could get this rebellion quashed and get these cities to surrender like as quickly as possible because they were fighting another war, uh like mm. in another part of the world. And the resources were spread way too thin. So at first he comes in and he just like decimates a town. And every town around it immediately is like, Yep, yeah, no, okay. So hang on like these, I
3: tend to avoid this correction to so as not to be a stickler but do you mean decimates in the traditional sense of one in 10 killed or no, destroyed everything
0: Some accounts of some of his sieges talk about how like there weren't any nails left in wood Shit <laughs> like th- he would destroy towns Um so then everyone around them is like fucking I don't want to part of that and so, and this is, this is kind of the rub. This is how you see like, how these empires work. Because what happens when you surrender is the officials give over sovereign control. That's it. The city's theirs now. It's not like now where you walk into a city and you do your thing and you leave at the end once you've proved your point. Yeah, it's just theirs. They handed it over. And there were a lot of things in place to ensure that there was then a peaceful transition... Whenever possible. And a lot of the time, actually, it ended up being a relatively peaceful transition. Yeah. As um,
3: peaceful as that can be.
0: Yeah. So they would typically, like, they would execute, a lot of the time, they would execute the garrison, for instance. Because obviously you don't want your enemy soldiers in your city. Yeah. Um, sometimes it would be, like, magistrates and local officials and stuff like that. They would also kind of, like, get rid of. Could, but basically, once you had your soldiers garrisoned in a town and you had your magistrates in their courts, mm. that's your city now. What's anyone going to
3: do? The citizens are kind of just... They just have to trust that it's your city now. You're going to look after it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, some sieges would... And you see more of this kind of further back into history. as um, Especially kind of the Roman Empire would occasionally... Not always, but occasionally... Kind of take mercy on surrendering cities. Mm. And... Sometimes even give them work out plans with their officials to evacuate their garrison and evacuate like important citizens and stuff. People that would be a problem later on. Yeah, and just like make sure that everyone was like mm. taken care of and like moved around safely. Sometimes, however, they would not, and so that was the thing that this duke kind of found himself found his found his problem was because at first he was destroying all of these cities and it seemed like it was. It was discriminate. It was, you surrender, you're fine. You don't, you get destroyed. Mm. And then he got impatient, gets halfway up into into kind of the territory that the Dutch rebels had occupied mm. and starts sacking towns he'd given clemency to. Oh and then he discovers that this ancient rule this rule that um, cuz this this rule was the kind of it was the actively written rule of warfare stretching back into like the latin that if you give a, some if you give someone if you embark on like a terror campaign in siege warfare mm-hmm. you have to give fantastic rewards to a town that surrenders mm and the reason for that and it's and it's interesting to see how kind of like practical these things emerge from mm. because the reason for that is immediately as soon as he started sacking towns that he'd said he 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 was fine with all of the other rebel towns then buckled down and forced them out of the netherlands that's amazing he'd gotten through because it was working he would have gotten through and gotten gotten the entirety of the had netherlands back got and gotten tro- troops back to spain with plenty of time yeah
3: had he not been, imp- been impatient and been like essentially
0: broken his word. Yeah, because he, he let that restraint off thinking that the terror was the thing that was getting people to do it, but it was the mercy that was encouraging people. Mm. It was the idea that we're going to be okay. And as soon as that wasn't true, it all fell apart. And you see mm. that kind of like we, we all may as well history. fight back because yeah, and we might get killed anyway.
2: Yeah, there's no point playing it safe if he's just going to come around in three months' time anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. I know we've been going on for a while, so I'll I'll try to wrap it up briefly. But I feel like it's also important to kind of talk about what a siege really is. Mm. Um, So now you can kind of see, like, the way it works politically. Oh, the other important thing to note is that castles were kind of important, but they were important typically only as part of a broader defensive strategy. Mm. So they would typically be built, those fortifications and stuff, in the gaps between, like, large settlements and large like fortified structures yeah so you couldn't so the idea wasn't that a castle necessarily was important but that a castle was a way to get past the more rigorous defenses with like thousands and thousands of citizens yeah you would try to find that would be like their gap in their essentially like military border because like if you couldn't defend it it wasn't your border that's how things worked back then yeah um Anything that is lost becomes someone else's. And it really was. Like, they gave over literally sovereign control. It was like a legal, uh, in the in as close to international law of states as it could possibly be. Mm. Um, but, okay. So, typically, someone shows up at a settlement to besiege the thing. There's a few things that are going to happen first. Mm. First of all, they're going to start digging earthworks. Um, which I think we might have talked about briefly before,
3: Yeah, I talked about uh, briefly about um, undermining. Um, oh,
0: well, th- so the first earthworks were actually typically a series of ditches surrounding the settlement, because what oh, you wanted to they dug out trenches? Yeah, essentially, because the reason for that being you obviously can 't get supplies in a wagon through a ditch. Mm. nobody's going to get across there without having to get through you. If you create these ditches. So immediately you cut, you off, cut them off all supplies, you cut off any communication, you cut off whatever. And in fact, one of the big voids that was left at the end of these like collapsed empires, when all these, I think it was at the end of the Macedonian Empire, when all these kingdoms kind of like took its place. Yeah. One of their big problems was whenever they besieged large settlements, they didn't work together in like a cohesive way. So there would be gaps, there would be parts of the wall, parts of like the outside of the city that weren't being besieged. So people could just fucking walk out. (laughs) They
2: could just leave.
0: So it was just, it just didn't work.
2: Man, I'm sick of this. See ya.
0: Yeah, because, and um, Caesar noticed this especially when he went on this campaign into Gaul. Mm. um, Because his is probably the best example of it. So what he did was he created these like massive earthworks all around the city so that nothing could get in that the Romans didn't know about. Mm. Then he creates a series of, like, wooden walls and stuff around the earthworks as he has these, like, increasing rings around it. And oh. he has them facing in and out because that means no relief armies could come in from behind them and break the siege from the outside. Mm. Oh, that is good. So once they have this set up, they then set up a series of, like, um, like the Romans were really big on siege towers. Uh, is that they actually made them out of iron, not out of wood. That is a lot of iron. Yeah. Um, later on, when they kind of didn't have that much iron to use anymore, uh, they kind of switched in the Middle Ages back to wood, and then they started putting, like, iron on the wood and shit like that. Because hmm. um, the big fear was with the wooden ones, obviously, that they would throw, like, Greek fire and stuff. Yeah, they'd set them alive. Yeah, because Greek fire is just, like, medieval napalm. Um, and it would just... Like, even if it was... Does napalm literally catch fire or is, is it purely chemical?
2: It's both. I think a napalm
0: napalm is on it's, fire. It does catch okay.
2: fire, but it will also give you chemical burns if it doesn't.
0: Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Because yeah, like
3: g- Greek, Greek fire is quick lime and oh, fuck, we There's covered a, this in alchemy. It's a, a couple it's of different
0: pet, ones. The, the classic original like ancient world recipe was, I can't remember it, but it was something sulfur and just petrol. Like literally yeah, yeah that's petroleum. right. It was
3: it was quicklime uh, and sulfur and the quick lime when it came into contact with water I believed I believe it was, um, it causes a flash I think it's of temperature. The,
0: I think it's the oxygen. Because they had to originally keep it bottled up and it would only work when you uh, broke it or when you like squirted it out into the air, it would just ignite. Okay, Um, because I know, in which
3: case I might be thinking of a variant because that was, yeah, quick quick lime hit water and caused an exothermic reaction. uh, And that's what was the ignition point for a lot of um, Greek
0: fire. I couldn't say for sure, but I'm assuming that that was the later more sophisticated versions because they used to burn on impact instead of when you hit the air. So they were probably filled up like and had like a separated like section with water in it in the pot. It could be that it
3: needed water and oxygen. It could potentially,
2: just, yeah. potentially. That's that sounds like something that they use for like naval fights and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it
0: was it was really big in it was really big in that sort of thing, but it was also really useful, obviously, against these like massive siege mm. towers and siege weaponry. Mm. Um, because the idea of those was you would create them to a couple stories above the top of the walls, and you just drive it on in. Yep, <laughs> and you just climb on, on top, and you just be like, "Hello, I'm in your city now." Yeah, you got archers to take out the tower defence and you just walk on in. Yeah, so you would have these set up. Um, They would use ladders a lot, but the the ladders weren't really typically like straight wooden ladders. They would either like use siege machinery to launch a rope ladder over the other side Mm. or they would get like a wooden ladder that they would then like tent peg into the ground with ropes to make sure (laughs) that it couldn't. So so that's why uh, you don't hear all the time about ladders being knocked over.
3: Because they very quickly figured out how to stop that.
0: Yeah, they fastened them. Um, so as this is happening, uh, you'll typically also have a series of troops that are trying to like, march on the walls. Mm. Um, for a long time, they were like soldiers with like massive, long, heavy spears, really impractical spears, that were then like, flanked by archers and some like, kind of lighter infantry. Mm. Um, surprisingly, very little cavalry used in like, pretty much any of these. Knights and stuff were really mainly used for, like, garrisons. Yeah, well, because I can't imagine
3: horses to be too good when you're mostly stationary.
0: Mm. Yeah, um, war horses are famously expensive, difficult to move, and hard to train as well. Yeah. So it's just, like, it wasn't worth the resources for something that we could only be used in a handful of situations. Like, really, it was only if you were a garrisoned knight riding around your city that you knew very well. Yeah. Or, or like, the surrounding area, then that would maybe be useful. So and because they were so expensive and they were so difficult to do, they were just like fuck it. You can just stay in the city.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I know they're expensive. I in in your campaign had to find myself a warhorse. <laughs> yeah, by God, literally, essentially giving somebody the ability to blackmail me straight to the uh, the head of the city.
0: Yeah, just straight like you just gave them the power to kill you. Yeah, like, I gave instantly. them the power to have me executed. Wild. Um, <laughs> so that's how expensive warhorses are. So, they weren't typically used. They did sometimes use elephants, though, up until about, like, 1100. That's hard. They used some elephants they got from the Middle East. It's great stuff. (laughs) Great stuff. Because the elephants knocked down the ding-dang walls. (laughs) Fantastic animals. Excellent siege animal. Just Um, big boys. So, once you have, like, these kind of... You've got your earthwork set up. You've got your towers set up. You've got ways to like march on the walls. The main tactics then are to try and obviously get through them. So you could do that either with like a battering ram, which is going to usually be like a break like a break something that like wasn't in great repair or something or like a door or something. They also had a variant of a battering ram that was like spiked at the front that would like dig into the wall. That was supposed I like to like that. actually like break holes in the wall. That's cool. Um, yeah, that was so that was good fun. Um, and then, so the main tactic becomes from the people on the outside, because you don't want to be in a siege for too long. The longer the siege went on, usually the worse it was for the attackers more than anything else. Mm. Like sometimes people would be starved out and there were sieges where that happened. But like in one of the crusades, there was a siege where that happened and the crusaders came with, I think 115,000 men and they needed two other kingdoms to back them up before Mm. they could win this siege. So, like, it wasn't practical to starve people out. You just didn't have the resource. You didn't have the manpower. You needed to switch... A three-year-long siege means switching out, like, four different armies in that process.
2: Mm. And then you need, like, a a consistent and strong supply route and, like, the means back home to supply this army with consistent supplies. Yeah,
0: and they've got somewhere easy to defect to if they don't want to work with you anymore. So then you have to turn to, like, mercenaries, which are just, like, a whole other thing. They're so expensive. They're so difficult.
3: Just as a side note, uh, to show up how expensive warhorses are. Now, I know this isn't an important historical document. This is the dungeon. No, this is the (laughs) player's handbook. But if you have a look at the player's handbook, a warhorse will cost you 400 gold pieces. Who wants to take a guess at
0: what an elephant costs? I'm going to say 600. It's going to be like so much. Double it. Eight. 200. Whoa! An elephant costs half of what a warhorse costs.
2: But it's better
0: objectively god i need to keep that in mind well that's the thing a warhorse is faster um that's a warhorse
3: is about 50 percent faster
0: oh but an elephant will do sieges for me thank you so i think i know who i want to be my friend i'd much prefer the elephant
2: also like think of the street cred yeah right (laughs) like you get an elephant instead of a warhorse and i'm pretty sure legally you have to get like a plus to charisma somewhere
3: you definitely get a advantage on intimidation <laughs> at the very least.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah. So the idea is typically the way you'll win is you get them to, yeah, you get them to surrender. You want to, as part of this like ancient kind of military legal tradition, this like kind of implicit series of rules that they were all working with, sometimes explicit if someone decided to write them down, which hmm. um, like, is like three people did. It's so weird how little they wanted to write down. Well, because it was normal. That's true. It was just the wisdom of the time. Yeah. Um, So you would, it was more a a negotiation thing than anything else. Mm. Um, What you were really trying to do was you were trying to use your siege machinery. You were trying to get over the walls if you could and take over the city if you could. But otherwise you were trying to use like your siege weaponry to hold off attacks that were coming out from the city because it was also better for the defenders to leave the city Mm. rather than be stuck at the walls because then you're giving them ground. Yeah. Um, so they want to come out and keep you away from their city, which means that on the one hand, they're coming out to fight you, which is better for them, but that tactic of like drawing them out was used a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where a lot of the skirmishing happened. And I think that, and that's where it seems the consensus is that a lot of the siege machinery was used that wasn't like actively war focused. Yeah. It's was to, skirmishes. Yeah. Was to break those uh, lines of troops that were either coming to or out from the city yeah um the other interesting thing and i'll leave it on this there's a fun story i read about this really about this fun siege where a guy was like i don't want to take the city by force i just don't want to deal with that so what he did was he went and created all of his earthworks like way way outside the city like this massive perimeter outside the city so that like they couldn't get to them unless they all rode their entire fucking garrison like miles out. And so they just like would wait for them and then just like pick them off until eventually they gave up and stopped coming because they couldn't get supplies in and they couldn't get out to them. So they were just like, fuck, take the city, I guess. (laughs)
1: That's
3: fantastic.
0: That's how they, that's how they did that. And all they did was like fight skirmishes and they still won. I love that.
3: That's amazing.
0: So yeah, that's, kind of sieges i know it's kind of scattershot but i hope that, that gives a better idea of like what it's like being in a siege mm. it's important to remember how involved civilians were as well because they weren't civilians like there was one siege where everyone in the town just like tied all of their mattresses and soft things together to put behind the wall to like de- soften the uh to like give some like cushioning when the battering ram was hitting against it oh wow just like some more like kind of impact dampening that's fa- that's great like that's how involved the citizens mm. were though well um, I mean
3: you're you're on the ground already you are in the battleground.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you were a soldier. Yeah. So yeah, it's just kind of this like big protracted thing. It's also strategic and it really was just kind of like how the world changed.
2: Mm. I mean yeah. even if you weren't actively fighting, you'd be cooking and preparing and like looking after people that are dying of yeah. wounds. Like the life, like, keeping people alive doesn't stop just because you're fighting.
0: Yeah. 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 And in fact, it only it's harder. Yeah. There are more of them to do that for. Yeah, yeah. Limited supplies, more injuries. It's like everything. Less people helping. Yeah. Everyone gets involved. Yeah. Because um, the only people they're responsible to were the person that owned the city. So it's like, you just got to keep the city. Yeah, pretty much. That's all you got. Um, yeah.
3: So that's a really cool way to look at sieges as a really large scale thing. Um yeah,
0: I just feel like there's so, there's a lot of like misinformation even from like academic circles about what a siege was actually like. Mm. Um so I thought it was interesting to get into it and realize it's just I don't know, it's a lot less I guess kind of noble. It's just like yeah, it's, trench warfare outside your house. It's <laughs> really like grim and long and shitty, but like weirdly strategic as well. I don't know. It's yeah. interesting. It's very interesting. Um so what I'm doing is
3: I'm almost just doing a, a continuation of what I did on castles, which was um, when I looked at when we looked at castles I did how do you get through a wall um, now I'm gonna do a little bit of a physics a physics lesson for us uh, on um, Siege weapons and how they get the energy to throw big things at other big things.
0: That's fun. How they even dang do that without electricity? Exactly.
3: Because a lot of these are feats of engineering.
2: I was going to say it's aliens.
3: Ah, yes. Well, that is a prevailing theory.
2: Really? No. Am I right? Yes. Well, (gasps) (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. I don't know what that means, but you said yes, and that's all that matters.
3: So... Uh, I'm going to be having a look at, yeah, how Siege engines work and what provides them the energy to throw big things. Um, so I'm just going to start off very quickly with a bit of uh, nomenclature of basically saying there is a lot of dispute over what thing is called what. Yeah. Um, there is no official defining record that you can definitively say is correct, um, the thing that everyone thinks of as a catapult, you know, the Age of Empires catapult.
0: Yeah. Um, the, 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 it's essentially like a spoon with yeah. some ropes that, it's, like, throws some things.
3: Yeah. It's, it's a straight-armed uh, rotational catapult is the best way to describe it. Because the word catapult actually refers to anything that throws things. Uh, And there's even dispute over where the name came from. Uh, I've been finding two different definitions. The first one means shield piercer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The other one means downwards thrower.
0: Ooh, that's a tough one.
3: Yeah. Both of those do work. Apparently both of them are Greek. So you can't even (laughs) even differentiate (laughs) it by culture. They're just both. It's so funny. Yeah,
2: The Greeks were like, well, I can't decide. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I really like when people, because I re- I was reading some articles where people were trying to like avoid those, uh, like modernisms. Yeah. and using like the proper language, so you'd see like people talking about like, oh, and they would load them up. They would load up the catapults, the trebuchets, and stuff with missiles because yeah. like that's just what they called rocks and arrows apparently. Well a,
3: a missile is just a projectile.
0: I know, but it's just fun cuz like a missile is yeah. not just a projectile. It's not, what it's we not think a projectile. Of now. Call it a projectile then. Yeah. But like if you don't have any other missiles, yeah. That's the first missile, you um, know?
3: <laughs> so essentially the way I'm just going to give you guys the way I'm going to talk about it? Yes. Mm. So when I say catapult, I mean anything that throws heavy things. That's just any machine that throws heavy stuff. Um, When I say... When I'm talking about what you would immediately think when I say catapult, I'm going to be referring to that as a mangonel. Now, again, there is dispute over whether that is a mangonel or whether a traction trebuchet is a mangonel. Who who knows? Um, But I'm going to call call that a mangonel because that seems to be the prevailing theory. Then there's the ballista, which is... Kinda looks like a giant crossbow. I'll get back to how it works later, but that's I'm going to call that a ballista. And a trebuchet is the gravity operated um, pendulum, that like pendulum device. Essentially, it's got a sling on the end that lobs stuff.
0: Oh yeah, it's like a, if a, the what you think of like the straight arm catapult if it wasn't dumb.
3: Yeah, yeah, cool, um, cool, 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 cool. And then there's the perrier, which is. The same thing, but instead of powered by a counterweight,
0: it's, power, it's powered by people. Oh, that's fun! Yeah, it's like the power of friendship. I like that. <laughs> exactly,
3: friendship. It. <laughs> I
2: feel um, stronger with my bros along my side.
3: So, uh, as far as the physics of it goes, there are only really four. There, there are only really three different types of force. Um, I'm going to classify it four as four different ways, though. So, the first one is tension. Think of this like the way a bow works. You're just bending the wood, and when you let go, it unbends the wood and either pulls the thing or pulls a string that pulls the thing.
0: Yeah, it's just when you you find a thing that wants to be one way really, really badly. And you bend it out of shape. And you almost break it, but not enough that it stops wanting to do that. (laughs) And then you're like, okay, you can go home now. Yeah, Thanks for killing 40 people for me. Just Strang- a Rope.
2: Strangely enough, that's actually how I got the motivation to get through uni. Mm. I wanted to go one way and then I bent myself until I nearly broke and then I went home after killing 40 people.
0: Yeah. Um, so this is, yeah, wow, essentially it's... I say makes any sense. Huh? Bending,
3: <laughs> bending or stretching a material to store Fuck kinetic me. potential energy. So a lot of what we're doing is just storing kinetic potential energy. Um, the reason I specify kinetic is because uh, in the case of the one thing that... Really changed siege warfare. Cannons, um, gunpowder s- stores instead of kinetic potential energy, it stores chemical potential energy. Mm. Yeah. Um, so what we're doing is essentially in all of these cases, directly using kinetic energy. It's just about how we store it.
0: Wait, is chemical potential energy just called that? Is that just what that is? Yes. I always wondered what that was classified as. So I guess yeah, that chemical potential, potential energy is just the chemical one. Yeah. 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 Pretty much um no wonder i didn't know what the name of it was it's like i found out recently that the reason yeast is so fucking weird is because it's like the top categories of fungus are like moss yeast and mushrooms
3: yeah (laughs) and yeast is so nebulous
0: yeah so it's like think about how different all the mushrooms are and how little they make sense i've just seen a lot of them it's like yeast is just like fucking doing its thing it's just like a billion yeasts i don't know i didn't know that that's fun
2: you get into mushrooms (laughs) and it's fucked Mushrooms yeah, are kind mushrooms of fucked.
0: Are fucked. Real quick though, yeast also doesn't isn't different types of yeast. It just decides where it wants to be, and it can be wherever if it wants. If it just changes its mind, but like it just like has a preference. No one's making yeast do anything. It's so weird. Yeast is weird. Anyway, sorry. Um. So yeah, essentially, tension. <laughs> the plural is yeasts. Sorry, that's it. Can we do? So
2: can we do yeast as a topic? Yeast? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the we next two episodes will be yeast
0: day. and mushrooms. So <laughs> just the yeast and then yeast again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so
3: tension is yeah, bending on stretching uh, to store kinetic potential energy, it is directional, so it is always going to be pointing in the same direction, and it has what's called a slow relaxing speed. So the relaxing speed is how quickly it bends back to its original shape. Mm. And um, tension, whenever you're using a tension spring, it's actually relatively slow to pull back to its regular um, regular position.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose relatively compared to these sorts of like inciting forces that we're used to militarily. Oh, but even compared to these others, like oh really,
3: like torsion. Uh, so the difference between, t- between tension and torsion, there are very similar forces, but tension is by bending something out of shape, and torsion is by twisting it. Um. So oh, the I way see. you can think of this is, um, the difference between these is if you get. Uh, hold a pencil in your hand. Grab a rubber band.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
3: Excellent. Now you have got your rubber band. Uh, you loop <laughs> that over the pencil, and then you pull on the rubber band. That's tension. Yes. Now mm-hmm. you can put um, put the uh, now you uh, you can put the rubber band between two fingers. Put the pencil in between and spin
0: the pencil. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. That's torsion. Yeah, the idea. I guess the idea being that be because essentially all this is doing is storing the force you put into it because mm. you can twist something so much more so many more times than you can bend it because it's like yeah. it's not going against its whole form exactly. Mm. You then get to store so much more of your own force, yeah, or so much sorry, so much more of your own potential kinetic energy, yeah, and then yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I would have thought about that, and so it's a
3: rotational force instead. Uh, so usually in siege machines, this was using twisted ropes, leather, or animal sinew. Okay. Um, so ropes were the most common because they were the least prone to catastrophic failure under pressure. Um, that also they sense. were the least expensive. Um. Yeah.
0: I saw they like made them out of hair sometimes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just like kind of whatever was affordable. In anything, strands.
3: anything that can be wound together tightly, uh, as like a fiber, was likely used at some point. Um, Interesting. The Yeah, so with torsion, um, when the tension is relaxed, it rotates... And the tension relaxes very quickly uh, by comparison to... Um, sorry, yeah. Torsion, sorry, relaxes very quickly by comparison to tension. Um, it will spring back really quickly. Um, hmm. And it will... In all of these cases, be transferred by rotating a perpendicular arm. So imagine you've got like a central beam with the wound uh, cable around it, mm-hmm. and there is a an arm perpendicular to it, which is your catapult arm. It's the okay. thing that does the throwing.
0: Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Um, now with torsion scaling, uh, as with tension, uh, scaling up is difficult. Um, the reason for this is that you are storing you are storing energy. Um, in, a, in a tightly sprung. Essentially, it's a little battery of poten- of kinetic energy. Um, and the square cube law says that if you double the size of your, your projectile and therefore the siege weapon that you're using, it actually means you need eight times the energy because it's eight times the mass. Mm. So if we double the size of your siege weapon, you actually only increase the payload, potential payload by about 25%.
0: Oh, so again, so eventually like the diminished returns kind of yeah. don't make
3: it worth it. You really get to a point where making it bigger is so not worth it.
0: That's really interesting because I was wondering why because I came across in my research that really the only things that really grew in size uh, through the development of Siege Warfare were towers and ships. Towers and ships and uh, to a degree trebuchets.
3: And the reason for this, here we are, uh, is that they use gravity.
0: Of course.
3: Yes. So the way a, tre- a trebuchet actually works is that you have a counterweight. And by lifting your counterweight, um, the counterweight literally just uses a fulcrum. It's on one end of the fulcrum is the counterweight. On the other end is a big long arm with a sling that has a rock in it. Um, and you can scale your counterweight directly to the weight of your projectile. As long as the arm can handle it, you're fine.
0: Ah, so you just need sturdy materials at that point. Yeah,
3: so it's just mm. up to sturdy materials. Um a fun side note, the biggest uh the biggest um barrier to modern recreations of the larger trebuchets recorded is that we don't have trees big enough.
1: Oh fuck.
2: We That's no so longer good. have trees
3: that are huh. tall enough to build replica trebuchets. At least
2: none that you're allowed to cut down. Yeah, exactly. Anything big enough has got to be protected by now. Yeah,
0: we'd have so few of them left because of all the ding-dang trebuchets. Yeah, (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's... How crazy is that?
2: Hey, that's kind of fucked.
0: Yeah, it's nuts. It really goes to show why there was such a resistance back when, like people had the resources to kind of do whatever they want. When we're talking about like the time of an empire where it's like Mm. kind of like a lot of like untouched resources and a lot of like resources always changing hands, you can see why they would avoid using the same material over and over. Even though like in the Middle Ages, they transitioned to using lumber for pretty much everything.
3: Yeah. Well, I think that the problem with this is that you need large, intact, single pieces of lumber mm. for a trebuchet. Yeah, oh, I'm assuming um, because hardwood. if you have any joints in the the arm, mm. they're going to break hmm. uh, because you are putting like that is it's not storing as much any en- real energy under it or not storing it for use, but it is under tension. Yeah. The- um,
0: That's cool. So, yeah, you can see why like you wouldn't use wood on a tower if you were making a gigantic fuck-off trebuchet. Yeah, exactly. Or you would
3: use like smaller pieces of wood nailed yeah. together. That's neat. Yeah. Um, but essentially, yeah, it's converted using a lever and power scales directly with size. So you can just add a bigger counterweight and you're fine. Um, and the only things that really restricted the power of a trebuchet are the position of the fulcrum uh, in in uh, regards to the arm and the counterweight. So, essentially, you want the fulcrum to be close to the counterweight so that you've got a huge mechanical advantage in throwing your projectile. Mm -hmm. But you want it to be uh, far enough away that you are still able to gain momentum.
1: Mm. Um,
3: So, it's it's a bit of a balancing act, but there's a sweet spot there.
0: Okay. It doesn't seem like... Nearly as hard as... As organising a, a catapult? Yeah. <laughs> not a catapult, uh, a mangonel? Yeah. yeah. Seems like that's, that's a much easier fix. Exactly.
3: Um, and then, so we've, we've figured out how we store it. Oh, yeah, the other one is people. It's, I mean, t- technically we store chemical potential energy uh, in the sugars and fats in our bodies, sugars, fats, and proteins. Um, but that's really not important because that's more biology. Essentially,
0: exclusively off of gravitational potential energy. Oh, there you go. I'm always falling. Always falling. Um, um, I'm
2: electrical energy. I'm a, I'm an electricity type.
0: Um, did, did you yeah, not know that Greece was a lightning bolt? I didn't. know. I didn't. Oh. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Greece is a lightning bolt, and I'm rain. <laughs> I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. So essentially, there Don't are some siege
3: machines that ran using human power, and essentially all that that meant was they had. A bunch of people that would simultaneously pull a bunch of ropes, <laughs> and it was surprisingly that's so effective. Funny. I mean, there are there's uh, as I said the, the the perrier, which was a siege weapon where you just you needed five or six people to pull down and one person to have been holding the the uh, payload at the beginning.
0: And that's it. That's and, the and whole. Somebody calls out, "Ready, pull." I mean, pulleys and, are fucking incredible. So I guess like. Yeah. That's really all you need. It's just, that's just so funny to me. And they were just because, such like great lengths to come up with these like mechanisms, and everyone was just like, I don't know, If you just asked me, case, I'd have
3: done it. And in that case, they never needed to rewind anything. They never needed to. So then you could just pull it back. So then you just pull it back, mm. add another thing. So they could fire uh, three or four times a minute.
0: Fuck, that's so cool.
3: Yeah.
2: Just pulling on ropes with the lads on a Friday night. So who, um, was, you,
3: who was using those? Um, I don't know exactly. I couldn't find too much on it. What I found was uh, historical recreations. Um, it seems to be it seems to have been used in the British Isles, um, but the name implies that it might be French. Okay. Yeah. But um, I didn't really look into too much into the history of it. I just thought it was cool that you could use human power for that. For that. Um, but then there's the, the conversion me- method. So this talks more about uh, how the projectiles travel. Mm-hmm. So the first one is a tension spring. Uh, which is that you pull tight on it and then release. And that will either directly throw the projectile, um, like in large cross, large bows, um, or it then pulls the arm which pulls the projectile, like in the case of a tension mangonel. So essentially that have the piece of tension above and then the rope attached to that is tied to the arm that throws the...
0: Boulder. Wait. So how? What? How does that help?
3: Not well. Oh uh, yeah. I was like, that seems like that seems worse. Yeah. Essentially, because they couldn't put the large arm under a ton of pressure, they'd instead put a small arm under a ton of pressure and then attach that to the large arm so that it would pull it up once it was released. Because if you put the big spoony arm, yeah, under a lot of pressure, yeah, likely it's going to break.
0: Oh, so it's just a way to like get it a bit tighter. Yeah. Pretty essentially.
3: Much. Um.
0: What was like the effectiveness of that? Tension
3: springs, not very good. Main reason for that is because it really has such a huge chance. So uh, so the slow relaxing speed means it doesn't suit small projectiles Mm -hmm. um, because it just, by the time they've left, they've not reached the high enough speed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And putting materials under a lot of tension runs the risk of, high-energy catastrophic failure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, God, that's fair. I mean, something's going to launch a boulder like 400 metres over a city wall. Like, you probably don't want that to break next to your head.
3: No, Uh, and it's limited a lot by the materials you use and the method of storage um, because you have to hold it back with a quick release. That's tough to do. Um, And the materials that have the ideal... um, uh, the ideal tensile strength and elasticity. Not many. There are not many good materials.
0: That's fair. Um, that's fair. I mean, that's really something that you probably need, like I don't know, like elastic or something, to yeah. really like effectively. God, could you imagine if like the Romans had rubber? Crazy. Um, oh, th- th- that empire never would have ended.
3: But yeah, that's that's why we use the torsion spring, um, which is so.
0: They just love it, to kill so bad.
3: The ballista. Um, we you, you're familiar with the ballista, right? It looks like a giant crossbow. Yes. Um. You would imagine that that works off tension. Yes. That you
0: all crossbows do. So one would assume.
3: Yeah.
2: It doesn't.
3: Turns out it doesn't. No. This is two very small torsion springs.
0: Oh, uh, I thought you. I was really hoping you were going to say like little dudes standing <laughs> next to it, they and they like they, they throw it really hard. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's two
3: small torsion springs. Uh, attached to the arms, and they are then pulled back. So it's just rather than throwing one big spoon arm, uh, it's pulling back. It's it's pu- pushing forward the arms of the bow to then tighten the bowstring.
0: Yeah, I mean, you use you want a crossbow that's twenty times bigger than a crossbow. I guess use the thing that can give you twenty times the force.
3: Yeah, exactly. So that makes sense. They're using a torsion spring. Um, no, Which to, again
0: was just like rope tightening. Yeah, rope wrapped around a thing, tightly. right? Yeah, yep. cool.
3: Um, so they used two torsion springs, and because that was a, a direct transfer, it was very accurate.
0: Oh, and that's why they would have like the big cranky geary thing to tighten it. To because tighten Because that's it. like twisting it. Yep. Mm. And I always wondered why those were always drawn as like horizontal. Mm. That makes sense. Um,
3: essentially, the reason they were so accurate is because. In pulling forward, it still just followed the same sort of trajectory that a crossbow bolt would. It's it's a direct, straightforward throw.
0: Yeah, I mean they were just giving it like proportional force to the size, if yeah. not more. It was just like a strong, a big crossbow.
3: So it's theorised that these were likely used to pick defences of castle walls, mm. um, or to just shoot straight through a ton of a ton of people charging at you
0: yeah fuck that's yeah that's not an yeah that is not a that is not a fighting force that is gonna gonna march at you for very long when like cause they're all standing in lines as well (laughs) and just like an entire row of them gets fucking dominoed to death by a giant crossbow bolt like I'd give over the city too
2: it's either ye olde sniper or like (laughs) or like ye olde skewer (laughs) ye olde
0: rail gun um (laughs) Now,
3: as uh, with the tor- torsion springs, um, it is difficult... Oh, so they, this was also what was used for the manganel for the rotating arm. And so that's a rotational throw. So it was a little harder to keep this consistent. Yeah. Um, also hard to keep consistent because um, the fibres that they used, very prone to wear and mm. environmental constraints like temperature, humidity, uh, moisture, they would all essentially fuck up the mechanism. They would just make take that um, highly strung fi- fiber and
0: ruin it. You know, I think that I think the reason I can't stay consistent is because of my fiber as well.
3: Mm. Yeah, <laughs> hate that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and that's that's the torsion um, side of things. As far as uh, gravity, as I said, it's just a simple lever and fulcrum realistically all you needed to do was lift the waist, the weight high enough and lock it in place. You don't even put anything under a significant amount of tension really, because rather than having to put all the force in there, you can let gravity over time do that. It's just a big, heavy rock. It's just a big, heavy rock.
0: Yeah. The rock's gonna fall. We can just leave it at that guys. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Wait, um, how'd they get it up there? They would either pull on the other side of the arm or they'd lift it up. Um, it was And it was rotational too, so it was easier to get it up than just pushing it upwards. Oh,
0: okay. So it was typically like, oh, yeah, because I guess if you're rotating it, then you'd be like... Because, yeah, you can like, just wind
3: back the arm. Cranking it up. Yeah, essentially. And you can just have teams of people doing it or you can use a, like, a mm. pulley.
0: That's an important thing, I think, to note. And that's something I was coming across in my research as well is how much of these things required so much cohesion from so many people. Mm, it all needed of these a lot. Ma- yeah, all of these machines are massive. Even if you're just talking about like... A ladder you're putting up against a wall, like that requires ten armed, armoured people to run in perfect unison at the exact same speed with each other, mm. covering each other as they go, putting it up against a wall, going in a set order and defending each other on the way. Yeah, like it's it's it, the simplest things in a siege require this it require so much strategy and training that like I feel like you don't really. I feel like we don't really consider a lot when we think about sieges. Mm. Um, I think that's a really good example of it, just like how fucking big these machines were. Yeah, they're massive. Um, and then there's uh, just essentially,
3: in addition to those sorts of ways, the way that the, the thing was thrown. Uh, you've got your typical arm and bucket that everyone thinks of when somebody says catapult. Of course, of course. Um, that was actually like not as good for throwing things as an arm and sling. Um, It didn't provide the same mechanical advantage, but sometime around the medieval ages, it started to become really popular. And the prevailing theory for that is that it was easier... Because with a sling, you can't throw incendiaries. You can't throw things that are on fire. Mm. Whereas you can... With just the arm and the bucket.
0: Yeah, it seemed like a lot of a lot of the transition throughout. Because as you come as you come into the Middle Ages, out of like the ancient world, they're able to raise like smaller and smaller armies, and that like that's why they start turning to like mercenaries and stuff. Because I mean, the ancient rulers could get an army of anywhere from sixty to a hundred thousand troops, mm. just like because they fucking felt like it. Yeah. Whereas like you get into kind of the Middle Ages and you'd be looking at forces of like comparable to a modern kind of military unit, like 13,000, 16,000, 20,000 at most kind of thing. So you've got so many fewer people that stuff like like Greek fire, which was also being like really developed. uh, Mm. When you get to the Middle Ages, Greek fire becomes just like fucking wacky good. It's like crazy good. So all of the things then become tailoring things to limited resources and limited people. And um, also around the medieval era... Fortifications were largely wood,
3: or at least had wood foundations, so they would just burn.
0: Yeah, yeah. Towers were um, towers were siege tower really bad for that. They had to start like putting like a, a damp leathers and metal and stuff on the back on the outside mm-hmm. of towers because otherwise they would just catch a light. Someone would throw some Greek fire at it and just like burn down. Yeah, that was
3: it? Everyone was dead. Um, and here comes my very favorite part of this, which is the sling. The reason that trebuchets are so good. Uh, and this is what uh, what the Mangonels used to use, um, but moved to the spoon for some reason. I don't know. Um, is essentially the uh, due to the rotational force on the arm. If you start with your sling attached to the arm underneath and behind, essentially in the rotation, mm-hmm. when the when it pulls. And it whips up a, and around in you know, a let's call it clockwise direction. Yeah. The sling follows it, and then at the height of the trajectory, it has, there's like a little ring attached to a stick on the end.
2: Oh, it doesn't it have un- a little unhooks,
3: bit. It unhooks. Yeah, it un- unhooks and lets oh, go. Oh,
0: so you could ensure that the sling only let the thing go at the perfect moment with the perfect wind up every yes. time.
3: And also, also, um, it does a lovely little double pendulum, which anyone who's studied year 11 physics could tell you is a way of very quickly adding a whole bunch of velocity. Because you convert, essentially, the you convert the rotational velocity really easily into increased force in one direction.
0: Oh cuz the sling is the second pendulum. But yeah I so see. the first pendulum Took is the, the arm and then the sling yeah. follows its own arc cuz they're around both, they're, that. Both, they're both catching they're both getting their own momentum and yeah. both are pushing the missile. missile. Yes.
3: And that missile goes flying at a very very high speed. That's fun. Um, yeah and so that's how trebuchets through big rocks real fast. Anyway, that's all I've really got for the physics of it. Uh, I've talked for a little bit now. um, But yeah, this is my love letter to the physics of siege machines.
0: (laughs) I wish we could. I wish we had cities like that still, that you could just like besiege. You could just like surround the city and just be like, what's up? It's my city now. Like imagine trying to do that in an Australian capital city. Yeah. Where the fuck would you even go? Like, do we start in what? Anneli? Kabulcha? Like, what do we. Where do we start? Where is Brisbane?
2: People in Caboolture are already throwing shit at each other. Don't do you reckon worry. you'd
3: start from the north or south? Or do you reckon you'd start
0: from like the western suburbs? No, I'm going to start...
2: Mountains down.
0: I'm going to start digging earthworks just outside <laughs> Logan all the way around to the top of the Sunshine Coast. And by the time no, Brisbane no, no, no. Just notices... between the
3: Sunshine Coast and Noosa because they're a separate, uh, separate
0: council. I don't give a shit. Do you yeah, think you I you care go, about councils you gotta go the, anymore?
2: You've got to go around the edge of the Morton Bay Brisbane Council.
0: Yeah. The border of Brisbane is the ditch that I create to starve Brisbane. <laughs> That's the outside. Anyone on the inside should could, could, give me the dang city. Give yeah. me the city. Yeah. Give me and the city. And with that, we're going to take a very quick
3: break, and then we're going to come back and Grace... And we'll own Brisbane. Yeah, well, A, we'll own Brisbane, and B, Grace is going to talk, run us through some very handy things that you as players can do with Siege.
2: I don't know how handy they'll be, but they'll fun... They're fun. Yeah, i will do.
0: <laughs> What's up, piss fiends? How are we all doing? We all have piss, right? Anyway, Grace is here, and she wants to talk about some shit. So it's- fucking listen. I swear to God. Fucking listen for once. Please. Thank you, Grace. (laughs) So just be so mean today.
2: Wow, yeah, it's really confrontational. Um, Okay, so basically, I just went on and I found a bunch of really cool stuff that I thought would be really useful in a siege, or not even useful, but just stuff that I would like to use in a siege as a player. And I have two DMs here, and I thought, how about I just like list off a bunch of cool stuff and get them to tell me if or not <laughs> whether they'd let me do it
0: <laughs> yeah Good. yeah okay fair enough let's like, go hey is, will you let me this is great
3: because these ideas may legitimately get used in one or both <laughs>
0: campaigns
2: i really hope so i've done my homework and i just leveled up so i'm like keen to try new things
0: I mean, as if I was ever not going to have a siege. Literally, like, the, the backstory of the thing you're at is a there siege a just siege. happened. <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, it's like this, the whole was, thing. this campaign started very, very shortly before you recorded Castles.
0: Oh, true. I was really in that. God, is that why I did that? Maybe. Oh, well, I'm committing now. It's fine.
2: <laughs> Um, Okay, so the first thing I have, I have it like broken up by like the main siege machines and then I have just some like cool miscellaneous things that I think are neat. That's fine. Okay, for a Ballista, I have the second level spell Heat Metal. I just think it'd be really cool if you heat it up. Uh, The shit that you were shooting at the castle, really hot because it is described as red hot, which I'm assuming, depending on what it hits, could set something on fire. I mean...
3: To be fair, you've got to have access to a ballista and bolts and be on the front lines.
2: Oh, I'm saying if this is like this is something that you have already... Uh, like, if you've got a ballista.
3: Mm. Do that, but that, that's what I mean. If you've got access to those things, you've worked hard mm. to get access to those things. I'd say the ad addition of heat metal is a very clever and innovative way to add something to that siege. I would allow it, definitely.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like... There's and no it, reason not to. There's, yeah, I couldn't think of a single reason why I wouldn't because it's literally just you're heating up some metal. It's yeah. not like one of those things where like you're like, oh, I want to create water in their lungs. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's like, no, it's just metal. Yeah, I make that yeah. hot. Yeah. yeah. And, Good um, on you.
3: Even as far as making things catch fire, I mean, that would probably be a role for me, whether or not mm-hmm. it catches fire because you have heat and oxygen, but you don't necessarily have a spark um, and whether or not you get fuel depends on how well you aim it. So, I'm happy to leave that to the dice to decide.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, if you hit something wood with, like, a bolt that you've used heat metal on, like, yeah. That's a pretty good fi- that's chance
3: that's going to catch fire.
0: That's going to be on fire now. That's cool. Mm. Uh,
2: okay, so the next one I have is trebuchet slash catapult slash whatever the hell you want to call the thing that you use to throw shit at people. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so... Uh, one of these is flesh to stone. Just thought it'd be cool if you could just throw some stone people over the wall. <laughs> just throw some fellas. I mean, not the people you like. If you, like, I don't know, were fighting people and you just, like... As you said, this, some of the soldiers came out of the city to fight you. What if you just, like... Threw
0: got- them back?
2: <laughs> what if you just got some?
0: Well, I mean, on on the other hand, why not do it on the people you like? <laughs> Throw your army over the wall. Fair enough.
2: If you've got someone who's really nasty, just like...
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, because it's like... Well, think of this, right? You have flesh to stone, right? mm mm-hmm. So you are going to be fine for a little bit as long as the duration of it is long enough for you oh. to, like, get on the ground and load some more up. Mm. You could use one of those ones that would launch, like, three times a minute and get, yeah. like, 40 people over it before the spell runs out and then you just kind of, like, run amok. Flesh to stone is a concentration
3: spell, and if the stone is broken, then you retain those injuries when the spell ends. It's also every six seconds you make... Every round, you make a constitution saving throw. On three successes, you turn back to flesh. On three failures, you're petrified. So there is no way this goes well. Either you, as a person, are thrown over the wall... Or like by the time you land, you are a person again. That's bad, because you're a person getting thrown over a castle or city wall.
0: I mean, you could probably. You've got three saving throws, right? So you, if you can get two successes, you probably in twelve seconds get from siege machine to ground, and then on. But then you are but just then kind you of shatter. Yeah, that's fair
3: <laughs> but, and that's the thing because it isn't a permanent spell because it's concentration
0: Um. oh yeah no like that you could there's definitely a good chance you'd explode when you hit the ground
3: and my, my thought is you then end up with flesh pieces all over the road uh, which is for me more biological warfare than anything else and a good use of a 6th level transmutation spell well, that's fun
2: I, I mean I I did you recommend well just... it to the people you don't like because I didn't think they'd really survive it They're definitely not
3: surviving that.
0: At that point, you—I feel like you may as well just throw regular folks, though, right? You might as well just put them in the put them in the trebuchet, save the spell slots. But
3: that's the thing: is a a regular person lands in one place, a stone person shatters and then turns into flesh.
2: Also, a regular person doesn't do enough; it doesn't do a huge amount of damage on impact. A stone person will do a lot of damage and then just sort of meet out.
0: As if you threw like a hundred kilo dude, like with like armor with some armor on through the roof of their house and it wouldn't break. Yeah, I
2: guess so. I'm just imagining kind of like a <laughs> squish sort I of situation. Just,
3: I do think that this is something that could have unintended or intended <laughs> and severe consequences. Yeah, well, And it's a six level spell. Again, <laughs> I see no reason why I wouldn't allow this. Oh, yeah. It's more so what I would do with the aftermath.
0: Yeah, well, it's fun because even if you get all the perfect roles and everything works out and you manage to survive, you land on the ground, you're standing there fine, you turn back into flesh, then you're just standing there, surrounded by enemies in their city with no one else around you because what are the chances that two of you got it right? <laughs> yeah. Let alone like an army of you. So then you just get killed instantly, which is also good fun. Yeah. Oh, you could do it with a druid though. You send a druid over and then get them to polymorph and then they sneak away. Uh,
3: But then wouldn't you just throw them over without the flesh to stone?
0: Seems like they could just turn into like a bird or something, actually. Yeah. Yeah, Probably be easier. Yeah. Maybe if you really want to get your level two druid over the wall. I don't know. just
3: turn them to stone so they don't get shot mid-air.
0: Yeah, yeah. You risk killing them immediately for the sake of having... One lizard on the inside.
3: <laughs> um, I do, I do really like the the unintended consequences of that though. <laughs> so that's really cool. It's good fun.
2: Um, these ones here I put under catapult just because I thought maybe under some circumstance you might be allowed to hurl them. But they also work if you just like put them over the wall. I guess. Mm. Uh, I have uh, acid splash. Just thought that'd be fun. Throw that over. Uh, the range isn't too far, but it is just described as a bubble of acid, which I assume you could put in a container to throw further.
3: Uh, I believe it specifies in the spell that once the spell's duration is finished, it dis- disappears disappears um, from memory.
0: Uh. Uh, oh, but... No, I,
2: it doesn't say. It just says... Because I linked all of this because I thought I'd get called out because I don't know shit about anything. Uh... Your target has to save on a dexterity throw. Yeah, I
0: don't yeah, think it goes it doesn't away. Doesn't specify. Yeah, doesn't specify. I could um, see that being useful, as much as like I am not sure if you could.
3: Yeah, maybe it was maybe it was a, um, a sage advice like tweet from one of the creators, um, which mm. means that's that's not
0: binding. Yeah, fuck that. Um,
3: good advice, just not binding.
0: What would you store acid in in D anD D glass? You they didn't have glass in the medieval era; it just didn't exist. Glass wasn't a thing. Not around, like, this kind of time. Not around, like, the height of, like, Siege Warfare. They didn't put things in, like, glass things. They didn't, that wasn't, like, a readily they, they accessible container. They didn't
3: have... Actually, when was blown glass a thing?
0: When was glass invented?
2: <laughs> um.
3: Because I'm pretty sure they did have glass bottles, it's just they weren't widely used.
0: Oh. Oh, shit, yeah. it was. It's old as hell. I, ju- yeah. I guess it was just, like... I wonder why they didn't use it. Because uh, I do know that it was like weirdly recent history that they started using them like commonplace. I mean, it, I think I guess it was it's
2: just time consuming to make.
0: Yeah, it's expensive and time consuming. You need a lot of heat,
3: you need a lot uh a lot of expertise, and you can't really stop it as well as you can with a clay vessel. And clay was just easy. And well, didn't sorry. break as easily. Yeah, that's fair.
2: You want something that's durable.
3: And until they realized that glass was just impervious to most things apart from impact, um, hmm. it makes sense to put the put things in the hardier material.
0: Oh, it was. Yeah, sorry. It was because they used. Yeah, because later on they added uh, lead into it so that you could work with it longer. Yeah, cool. uh, because it was too. That's why you couldn't like blow it properly and do like right. stuff with it, like complicated things, unless you had like an artisan.
3: Yeah. So. Uh, you could get glass vials. It would just be, like, they're more expensive.
0: Yeah, I mean, that seems reasonable. And in that case, like, I don't see any reason why why that wouldn't work.
3: Yeah, because put it in anything else, it'll eat away at that
0: instead. Yeah, I mean, hell, if you just put it on something that, like, like you just coat a missile with it and start shooting that at the walls, I'd give you, like, I'd, I'd do something with that. I don't know what I'd do, but yeah. I'd do something with that.
3: I, I wouldn't necessarily give it the full power, but I would certainly allow it to do extended damage.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: Uh, on the same thing about in terms of like something useful that would need to be contained, I have infestation. Oh,
1: um,
2: if you could just like pop that in a. it Doesn't have to be anything particular, I guess. Like clay jar. Oh, I forgot that this is a cantrip. That over. Yeah, that's just a cantrip. Uh, a cloud of mites, fleas, and other parasites. Constitution throw.
0: Oh my god. You could just. I don't
2: think it disappears.
0: Give them the play. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you can't. Well, it
2: doesn't
3: specify. It does say the range is 30 feet. I'm assuming that's 30 feet that you can
0: control it within. Yeah. I would assume conjure, right? 30 feet is where you could, like.
3: I would assume it would be both conjure and move. Because oh, you can sorry I'm reading the, rest of the spell move and then
0: it. you move it around just you like control mm. it. I see, I see.
3: Yeah, I would assume it would be both. Um, that being said, I I can I, I would probably allow using a lot of different concentration checks. I think I would use concentration checks probably to keep it going outside of
0: range. Honestly, I'd probably just say use a spell slot for it. Maybe, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of lax about cantrips. Like, if you have something real fun to, funky to do with a cantrip, yeah. then, like, I don't know, talk to me. You can use a spell slot. It'll be fine. I mean, I, th-
3: I think for me it would be concentration checks to keep it running outside of the range, That's especially fair. if you're lobbing it over a wall and you can't see it. Yeah, I would just make them hard concentration checks. Oh, because yeah. if you pass enough of them, it's spectacular enough to do it.
0: I guess, yeah, I just mean from the perspective of like, if you're just like launching it over the wall to just create an infestation and then just like letting it do its thing, mm. then I'd just be like, I don't know, use like a little two spell slot, go for it. Yeah, that's fair. But uh, that's fair. If you're like controlling it, that'd be a different thing.
2: Mm. Um, I have this one under Miscellaneous and Catapult. Uh, it is Delayed Blast Fireball. Oh,
0: oh my God, yes. The um, best spell in D&D. Yeah,
2: I wasn't sure if it would be useful to just, like, throw over or whether or not, like, the, um, the distance would let you do that or if you could put it in something and then have it, like, I don't know, on a timer because it's delayed, just, like, a, f- a little grenade you chuck over.
3: Yeah, well, again... You have a range of, 150 feet to cast it to. Mm. Um,
2: yeah, because um, after that, after it explodes, it's each creature in a 20 foot radius. And
3: if you if you can, it can be successfully thrown by other creatures. So surely it can be thrown by a catapult. You are risking it blowing up in the catapult. Um, because like that's what it says when a creature does it, they make a save. They make a dexterity save. Mm -hmm. If they succeed, then it doesn't blow up and they can throw it up to 40 feet. So if you put that in a catapult, I would say make uh make a save for like maybe intelligence maybe dexterity i don't know i'd have to think on what that would be
2: um the one i'm the the page i'm looking at uh says that like any creature touching it has to make a dexterity throw i guess just because it's a bit delicate
3: yeah which i would mean if you conjure it inside the siege machine oh i see the operating of it would have to Mm. risk blowing it up
0: oh yeah yeah it would be that idea of like um like a catastrophic failure. Yeah. Yeah. Except like if the catastrophic failure made the sun shoot you with a laser.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's really good cuz I was looking at it cuz uh goes around corners and sets <sighs> every flammable object that isn't being worn or carried on fire. Mm. Uh so that's your house.
0: Yes. I, at risk of giving away things that I'm definitely going to put in my game, thoughts on just like a series of battle mages outside a city, all casting like concentrated beams of delayed blast fireball at the walls to just like fucking tunnel straight through?
3: I mean, I feel like doing. Uh,
0: I mean, it's 12d6, that's a lot. Mm, mm.
3: No, no, no. Base damage, 12d6. Uh, it can concentrate up to one minute, which is ten rounds, and each round that it hasn't detonated, you add a d6. So by the end of that, that's 22 d6. Yeah,
0: like imagine you get three battle mages standing outside just shooting that at one spot on the wall. I <laughs> feel like that wall's not going to stand for very long. Yeah. No. you just It's essentially just like cutting through with lasers and just like you're just you're just in now. Yeah, plant one there for a minute
3: and you have done an average of... Hang on. 77 damage. An average of 77 damage with a single sixth level spell. That's Seventh f- level spell.
2: Delightful. I really enjoy that. See, yeah.
0: an
3: average? Yes. That's stupid. Yeah. The maximum would be.
2: Uh, geez.
3: 132 damage.
2: <laughs> I like that.
3: And the bare minimum is 22 damage. That's Oof. still
2: pretty. That is if you're
3: all yeah. one on 22 times.
2: Um. So another one I have, this is moving away from throwing stuff at people. This isn't a catapult. This is essentially a siege drill to underdig. Um, yeah. There is, a, this is, I'm pretty sure it's a home burrow that somebody made uh, for their uh, like dwarf uh, people. Um, and it's essentially just like a, where did I write it down? An immense drill mounted on the front, powered by an arcane engine or steam engine, depending on your campaign. A hatch at the rear allows two medium creatures to crawl inside and it is designed to dig tunnels underneath fortifications, but it might be found in use by miners or dwarves undertaking extravagant projects.
1: Um,
3: I see in my world that is something that one or two... Mm. people in the world that exist may have built.
2: Yeah, I imagine they're not common. And if they are, they're hard to get a hold of. But I thought, you know.
3: But yeah, if you can go to the the great lengths to organise that um, and to transport it to where that undermining needs to start, you're using it. That's that's mm. a thing. You're using that thing.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, I would probably just treat it as, like, a kind of Da Vinci-esque, like, how, like, Da Vinci did sketches of helicopters that would have worked had they built them, but they just didn't kind of thing. Um, mm. Like, that sort of thing. It's, like, it's a thing that has been, like, theorized and drawn up and everything. But nobody's ever fucking built it because mm. what a waste of resources. It probably doesn't even work. Mm. Would you like Obviously, to know? Obviously, no, no, It would, though. Thing, it, would. Yeah.
3: it would. It would.
2: Would you like to know what the hit damage for this is?
0: I would love to.
2: It's 10d10. It's 10d10. 10d10 is not too
3: bad because you do have a great range on that. Because yeah. that could be as low as 10 or as high as 100. Um, yeah. That's. And yeah, again, you're going to average around about a 55 for that. Hmm.
0: I did, I did find out, though, what the hit points of, like, the thickest castle walls would be. It mm-hmm. uh, turns out, according, if we're going off of the spell wall of stone, uh, yeah. it's a 30 hit points per inch of wall, and the thickest castle walls were 30 feet. So that castle wall would actually have 10,800 hit points. So-, so it would still
3: take you, on average, so hang on, 10,500...
0: 10,800.
3: 10,800 uh, divided by 55. So it would take you 196 rounds, uh, which is 196 divided six times six, sorry, uh, which is 1,176. Uh, beautiful. 1,176 divided by... Takes 20 minutes on average for that round. Drill to get through the thickest castle wall using the stats for wall of stone.
0: Yeah, so you can see why sieges and that's getting do through, last a few days.
3: And that's getting through the wall straight through. Like that's not undermining. That's going straight through. Yeah, that's just like drilling. I think in that is a again would definitely allow you to do that.
0: Seems reasonable
3: to me. Twenty minutes to get through a thirty-foot rock wall. I mean, they're going to go at you in every way, shape, and form. Yeah. to stop you from drilling through their wall. I think 20 minutes is a good time frame to have to defend.
0: Yeah, if you can keep if you can keep people off that fucking thing. This like delicate like early steam machinery mm. for 20 full minutes and not have like a war collapse and kill you all. Yeah. Then like, yeah.
2: You earn it. There you go. Earned
0: that. Fair enough.
2: Um I have a siege ladder. It's just a siege ladder. My notes here are it's a siege It's a siege ladder, lads. I don't know what to say. Yeah, it costs so, 10 gold pieces.
3: I mean, I'd probably make it cost more than 10. But yeah. again, would definitely let
2: it's you a, make and have one. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, there's another one here that's a battering ram. And I have a fun spin on a battering ram because somebody decided, hey, you know what would be cool? You know what would be really cool? If we made a battering ram made out of bones that a necromancer could make. It's just cool. The description here is an undead siege engine created by a necromancer. It needs no crew to operate and takes one move action to load itself and one action to fire.
0: Oh, my God.
2: It's cool as hell.
3: This one, I would be costing spell slots to use that.
2: Oh, absolutely. Because
3: that's six seconds to raise and then use uh, a battering ram, which is... Mm. Like, even the smallest battering rams are big.
1: Yeah. I mean,
3: I would say it takes six seconds for a policeman to use one of the handheld battering rams.
2: Yeah. Um, the trade-off was, I don't have the page up at the moment, but the trade-off was a normal battering ram they had listed as doing, I think it was five or six D10 damage mm. with a successful hit, uh, like that sort of thing. Um, but this one was only doing three as in, like they were like, hey, you get a little less power, but it's more convenient.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, because the big the big issue with a battering ram was always being able to keep the battering because you need like ten people at least ten twenty people to operate to a battering ram. Yeah, just to like yeah to move it and then to start swinging it and stuff like that takes a lot of mm. manpower. So the big issue with a battering ram and with shit like that is always keeping people safe for long enough to for it to finish working. Um, especially if you're using one of the ones that like attacks walls instead of like doors and shit. Yeah. Like that stuff takes a while. So like I can see I can see that being worth the trade off for sure. Mm.
3: Definitely. Um and yeah, I would say the lower the lower damage works, I would probably still be costing spell slots. Yeah. Um I I would say at the very least you'd be a second level spell
0: slot to oper-
3: uh a first level spell slot to operate it once.
0: I'd say probably a first level spell slot to load it and then a the second to use it. Just because it's separate actions. True. Maybe
3: maybe if it's, call it a fourth a fourth level spell slot to operate it for, you know, for 15, or for three rounds or yeah, something like that. Yeah, maybe that'd be okay. a better way
0: to just like scale it up. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it is still, you're still getting better value for spell slot when mm. you use like a higher level spell.
3: Yeah, call it 30 seconds for a fourth level spell slot. That's five rounds.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, the rest of the stuff I have isn't linked to any particular siege machine. This is just cool stuff that might be useful in a siege. The first one is a second level pyrotechnics spell. Uh, the description says: Extinguish a fire in a five-foot cube and turn it into either fireworks that blind onlookers on a failed constitution roll or smoke that fills a 20-foot radius that obscures an area for a minute or until the wind blows it away. If you're. If now you're, that's
3: very good. Both you get of those hit,
2: are. Yeah, if you get hit. You can just extinguish the fire where you're fighting, and then blind the people that are trying to get you, or just go set some fireworks off. I mean, you can
3: have you can have a battalion carrying around a, hmm. a bonfire. It's not hard. Or to just set number a number of torches. Oh yeah, like yes, yeah, set a quick fire it doesn't take that long. Um, Especially when you've got so much manpower to carry individual flames around.
0: I mean, if you're able to then turn the fire into something else, you've got you can use the fuel you made for that bonfire over and over again, and it's going to take a lot longer to burn out. Yeah. yeah. So you could have just like a string of bonfires around you, have like a bunch of wizards using cantrips to create fire. I mean, create and then bonfire. Then just like,
3: is a cantrip?
0: Yeah, and then yeah. you just and then you just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Just create like a shit ton of smoke in the area, and you can just walk right on in.
3: Yeah, I mean, twenty feet of smoke, twenty foot. Uh, you said cube or sphere? Uh,
2: it just says twenty foot radius. Twenty foot radius. Okay, well, so
3: a
0: sphere.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah,
3: that's pretty great. That's kind you, of phenomenal. you're obscuring vision for that long. Mm. Um, that's amazing. You could hell You could obscure your um. Yeah, you could you could obscure your siege machines with that.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean you could get you could cover almost yeah, anything other than anything that wasn't intended to go to the top of the wall mm. would be completely obscured. Like the wall is the only thing that's gonna stick out over the top of that. Yeah. That's crazy. That's really neat.
2: Um, I only have two left.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: the first one I have left is Move Earth, which is a six level transmutation spell. Yep. Uh move the earth terrain no larger than 46 yeah 40 feet uh reshape dirt sand clay any manner you can raise or lower the elevation fill a trench empty of trench form a pillar so you could just like get some stairs up alongside a upside a uh wall just like mm-hmm. raise the land
3: this is to do earthworks or yeah just make a big ramp
0: yeah oh my god I'm looking at this as well and it goes, it's concentration up to two hours. And every 10 minutes, you get to pick another 40 feet. Yep. And yep. as long as you can keep the spell going, you get to do the spell for that whole two hours. So you could do in that two hours, the entirety of, I think it was called circumvaliation. The ones that like the earthworks it that cut around. off supplies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could completely surround them with earthworks within a couple hours of arriving. Just imagine that your actually, one takes takes
3: months just running one lap around the castle, mm-hmm. and that's that's the time it takes to um, cast that yeah, spell. Yeah, literally
0: in the time it takes to walk around the outside. Yeah. You've got it done. And that's, what, a couple hours? That's absurd.
2: Yeah. It would also be very safe for the people that you're fighting with because it says here that because the transformation happens slowly, creatures in the area can't be trapped or injured because they can see it coming. So you can just like have your troops advancing as you move the earth for them. Mm. Um and it also says although it doesn't affect stone or like rock structures so you can't like move a wall you can move the ground under it and that foundation might just collapse.
0: Oh my god and it's You can just, undermine for free. It specifically says anything on top of it.
2: Yeah. If you uh, fuck it, up
0: the bottom it's gonna fall.
2: If the if the way that you shape the terrain would make such a structure unstable it might collapse
0: so you could take the whole city wall down in like a moment this is a mm. seventh level this is spell? a six level sixth s- level
2: yeah
3: oh boy so at level I mean to be fair for a sixth level spell you need to be what level 11 for to as a casting class I think so that sounds right yeah Zane Zane's nodding his head yep cool. six <laughs> so 6th level spell mm. you need to be level 11 for, for a casting class level 11 using your only sixth level, level spell slot as an undermining technique I mean comparatively, it's one more level until you get delayed blast fireball. So I would say this is very inventive use of this spell. And again, I would 100% support it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it really cuts down on the... Because undermining wasn't really... I mean, it was a known tactic. People did it when they were like... And they had no other options. But Mm. you don't really undermine someone. Because it takes a thousand billion years. Yeah,
3: this was if you really needed to get into Mm. here and... Traditional methods are not working.
0: Yeah, like, for instance, I think it was one of Caesar's sieges again, was one of the few, like, famous examples of that really working. And it was purely because it was, like, a three-year siege. So, eventually, they were like, fuck it. And they spent three months creating, like, a complex mine. It had, like, five entrances (laughs) under the walls. And then, by the time they blew it, like, the entirety of the city wall collapsed. Yeah. Or at least enough that the whole army could march in. And like that was just it, but that's how long that shit took. Imagine being able to do that in like an afternoon.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, my last option is another sixth level spell. They got some good ones. This is called disintegrate. Um,
1: <laughs> you can ju- it,
2: you can just disintegrate it. Uh, uh, it does specifically say that you don't have to use it on a, on like a creature. It says like. An object.
0: I love that you can use it on a creature. Though. You
2: can. You
3: can
0: disintegrate oh, yeah. some folks. This is
3: this is um, one of those instant kill kind of scenarios.
2: This spell automatically disintegrates a large or smaller non-magical object or a creation of magical force. If the target is huge or larger, uh, a huge or large object, the spell disintegrates a ten-foot cube portion of it.
0: Oof, ten so, foot.
2: So if it's enormous if you can't get the whole city but you can get in you can get into the city this is
3: at the very least removing the doors Mm. uh and quite possibly removing a cornerstone that again could collapse a portion of wall
2: yeah um it also has a little note that says uh when you cast a spell uh using spell slots higher than seventh level uh the damage increases by 3d6 for each slot level above it so you can just like keep I'm Keep assuming that this.
3: refers to the section where it's if it's cast on a creature, it does 10d6 yeah. plus 40. I mean, yeah. that static 40 is very good.
0: Yeah. And to be clear, if it reduces you to zero hit points, you do disappear. You are now disintegrated.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh,
3: it most of the resurrection spells do specify that you need to have a body.
2: Yeah. This- oh, that's
0: true. There's only like one that you could use at that point. Uh, true resurrection. Yeah, fuck.
2: Yeah, this one here. Uh, a disintegrated creature and everything it is wearing and carrying except for magic items are reduced to a pile of fine grey dust. The creature <sighs> can be restored to life only by means of true resurrection or a wish spell.
0: Jesus.
2: <sighs> so I saved this one for last because I thought it was the most like sort of, let's just punch this guy right in the face. Yeah, yeah. I mean
0: that's going to do it.
2: That yeah, that'll get you there.
0: That's going to
3: I mean, work. I do quite like the idea of as a defender using disintegrate on the bottom corner of a siege tower.
2: <laughs> this whole thing just and like the flips. whole thing
3: just
0: collapses. You just have like one wizard up on the walls who just like wakes up and just like starts shooting it's just like, it's just like, okay, well now this tower's gone. Okay, time to go to bed. And he wakes up in the morning and he's like <laughs> and, and now, now this army doesn't exist. Okay, time to go to bed. He wakes up yeah. and he's like, now this catapult's gone.
2: <laughs> just like yeah. picking
0: things off as you go around. <laughs>
2: um, so yeah, there are all my cool spells and stuff. Um. There was a page i found
3: i was i was really expecting there to be at least one thing that i disagreed with entirely and acid splash was the closest to it and even then given the considerations i'm all for it i
2: worked really hard to be um like practical i wanted Hmm. to be like fun a little whimsical but i wanted this to be like useful to people um and there was a website i found that had like just a whole list of the different stuff that you were actually like Supposed to stick into catapults and stuff. Um, like it lists spider shot, tanglefoot, self-launching stone. It just like has all of them and mm. how much they cost and what you need to throw it, which oh, yeah. was really useful, but not exactly. Is that creative. from Pathfinder? No, this was. I have no idea. It's literally just. Um, it's just a Forgotten Realms thing. Forgo- yeah.
3: Oh, okay, because yeah, they they included a tanglefoot
2: bag. Yeah. Um, cause that's where I was getting, uh, the prices for things from. Cause they have all of the prices that you can, I guess. Oh, that's cool. That's a cool. Resource.
3: Nice.
0: Yeah. Look this up. It's, uh, the realmshelps Dot net. Yeah. Or oh, it's magic. The title of the page is magic siege engines.
2: Yeah. I can link it on like Twitter or something. It was yeah. really, it was really helpful, especially with finding the stuff that I could then search up to find more interesting homebrew stuff.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. So thank you everybody. We've now spent three consecutive weeks, uh, on over a thousand weekly listeners yeah so fuck thank it, you gang. so much everybody. that is now without a doubt um, people are listening to this podcast that we have never met. <laughs> I definitely don't know that many people. <laughs> uh, How amazing is that?
0: unless what if it's just like four of our friends listening to it so many times?
3: I mean if it is the four of you, thank you. <laughs> thank you. We no we really appreciate you
0: we appreciate everyone, everyone listening. Um, if you like whatever the fuck it is we've been doing here, uh, leave us a review somewhere. I hear that helps.
3: Uh, On your podcatcher of choice, um, there's a couple of podcasts, social media things that we haven't got onto. Um, You can also... Give us a like, uh, give us a follow on our socials. As at Dungeon Deep Dive. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or send us an email.
2: Come follow us on Twitter, because Tully and I discovered there's a lot of catapult memes. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: uh, We'll we'll, we'll be going a bit nuts on on that, (laughs) I'm (laughs) sure. Like, on my way home, I will just be like, yeah, retweeting catapult memes.
0: Uh, If you have any of your own catapult memes... Um, Or you want to yell at me for talking for too long, <laughs> I'll send us an email at yeah. deepdivetnc at gmail.com. And uh, also, I'll
3: let us know, please, 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 let us know what the fuck it is that we do that you like, because we'll make that the focus of what we do. We really, literally, even really one don't person, know.
0: I will completely overhaul this whole show for one email. Yeah. <laughs> literally a single email.
2: <laughs> We're desperate for like positive an email, sort of interactions. An email.
0: My kingdom for an email. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And with that, I don't know, see you next time.